Welcome to the Three P's of Cancer podcast, where we'll discuss prevention, preparedness, and progress in cancer treatments and research. Brought to you by the University of Michigan Rogel Cancer Center. I'm Scott Redding. We're here with University of Michigan Comprehensive Cancer Center urologic oncologist, Dr. Arvind George, about the progress in prostate cancer treatments and diagnosis, as well as lab discoveries that lead to and continue to move the needle towards a more individualized approach to prostate cancer. Let's meet Arvind. He's a urologist who focuses on urologic cancers with clinical interests and research around focal therapy and imaging in the management of prostate cancer. Arvin has been on staff at Michigan since 2016 after finishing a urologic oncology fellowship at the National Cancer Institute. Now, Arvin, tell us where prostate cancer diagnosis and treatment has been over the past 20 years and where it is going. Well, we've been doing the same thing with regards to prostate cancer for a long period of time in general. Um, a man will have an elevated PSA. Um, he will undergo an ultrasound-guided biopsy. Um, and we're not targeting anything in specific when we get a biopsy. We're just sampling different areas of the prostate. And, um, and uh, then that's how we render a diagnosis. And that's been the gold standard uh, uh, across the world. And only recently has it been changing. In the last seven to eight years, our technology has improved significantly. Uh, specifically, um, uh, MRI imaging of the prostate has allowed us to see the cancer. Now that we can see it, we can biopsy it di- directly rather than um, just hoping that we sampled it on a random biopsy. Uh, an analogy I like to give is, and it's not the perfect example, but it's similar to a breast cancer diagnosis in that um, we don't uh, randomly sample breast tissue, but rather we do a breast MRI or we do a mammogram, which shows us an area that we're concerned about, and we, do- and we directly sample that specific area. And MRI has allowed us to do that in prostate cancer now. Um, it's helped us not only to target specific areas, but it's helped us to not miss cancers that we're concerned about, which are, which are aggressive. And also it helps us avoid the diagnosis of uh, less aggressive, low-risk prostate cancers that we really don't want to know about. So with the MR fusion that you mentioned, is that something that um, has made it uh, a little bit easier to, to diagnose prostate cancer? I know a lot of times you hear about issues with the PSA and you know, and, and there's too many un, unneeded biopsies happening because of that. Yeah, so P, we've been, we have used PSA as a way to guide when a man needs a biopsy. And right now we still use that as the primary way in which we uh, guide our decision making. But MRI has really helped us in selecting which patients are most likely going to be a benefit from a biopsy. So uh, an example would be a man who has a rising PSA and he has a prostate, a regular prostate biopsy and it's negative and his PSA continues to rise. Rather than doing the same thing over and over again, um, we can actually do an MRI and we can see a specific area that we would have otherwise missed if we had just done a, a random biopsy again. So the diagnosis seems to be uh, getting a lot more technology advanced. Um, this technology, either with diagnosis or even treatment for prostate cancer, did that come along um, when the Da Vinci robot uh, was uh, introduced about uh, 15, 20 years ago? Well, technology has been a huge part uh, of all, just moving forward with regards to all cancer diagnosis, but the Da Vinci robot did certainly make a huge difference. Um, the Da Vinci robot is a type of minimally invasive surgery, which essentially um, allows us to magnify our field of vision. We have very precise instrumentation when we do the surgery. We can manipulate the tissues very precisely, um, and it makes some portions of the procedure uh, much, much easier. 
Um, most men have much less side effects than they would have with uh, open surgery, and they'll go home the following morning uh, following their operation. Nowadays, the vast majority of prostate cancer surgeries are actually done via the, uh, the robotic approach. Um, but the main thing to remember is is that the outcomes of any type of surgery is, is really going to be dependent on uh, the doctor's and surgeon's training and experience. So surgery seems to have advanced um, from just open surgery. Seems to sound like that there's better um, uh, opportunities for less side effects with with the robot because it can be more precise. Are there newer uh, technology and newer surgeries that are are now becoming available for uh, patients with prostate cancer? Yeah. So the newest things has really been uh, born by the ability to be able to see the cancers, and one of the new treatment options has uh, is focal therapy. Uh, it's also called partial gland ablation. And what that is, is is that you treat the cancer alone while leaving the normal prostate tissue behind. And with prostate cancer, the less tissue that you treat, the less, the, the less side effects that you'll experience. Um, but also the cancer control can be affected. And uh, there aren't many long-term studies with, regarding focal therapy, but the uh, early studies have been uh, very encouraging. The effects on urinary continence are minimal. Uh, the effects on uh, erectile dysfunction are significantly lower than either radiation or surgery. But the important thing is that each person is different and each cancer is different, and we often need to tailor the treatment to each individual. So surgery may be appropriate for one patient, whereas focal therapy may be more appropriate for another. Um, so tell me a little bit more about this this focal therapy. Uh, what, what, what does that entail? Well, so focal therapy is is ultimately how we determine who's a good candidate for focal therapy is is that we do imaging and we do a, a, a targeted biopsy. And when it's in one specific area, then we feel confident that we can just treat that area alone and get uh, good cancer control uh, while minimizing the side effects of treatment. And there's a number of different ways to, uh, to employ focal therapy. The ones that we offer currently are uh, cryotherapy, which is uh, freezing of the tissue to destroy it, um, we offer high-intensity focused ultrasound, which is using um, high-energy ultrasound waves to generate heat within the tissue and destroy it. And also, we offer a gold nanoparticle-directed laser ablation, um, which is essentially uses uh, laser energy and, and harnesses um, um, uh, nanoparticles to be able to really direct uh, our treatment to the cancer specifically while trying to minimize as much uh, of the abnormal, uh, of the normal tissue um, that we can. So with the focal therapy, uh, whether it's HIFU or the gold nanoparticle um, that, you, that you're doing, is that um, uh, utilizing, uh, obviously new technology that way, but is also utilizing other technology involved too, um, like the MR fusion, or, or how do you get to that, that finite spot of where you need to target? Yeah, so we... What we do is we actually take the MRI uh, that's done, we overlay it on top of the ultrasound, and essentially, uh, when we when we call when we call it fusion, we're basically go ghosting the MRI on top of the ultrasound, and this basically gives us the detail that we the real high level of detail um, with regards to the anatomy that we see on MRI, but we get it in real time because it's linked to the it's linked to the ultrasound. So all focal therapies that we do are all done under fusion guidance, or which is MRI guidance. Um, and like you mentioned, it allows us to go to the right area every time with an accuracy um, uh, between one to two millimeters. So 
Arvin, there's a lot of uh, happening in the in the surgery area as far as new technology. What, what's going on in research with prostate cancer? Well, research is what it has and what continues to drive the discovery of these newer, less invasive, um, and more personalized and precise treatments for prostate cancer, and also um, helps us understand the biology of the prostate cancer much better and helps us develop new uh, drugs or new technologies to treat prostate cancer. Um, here at the University of Michigan Cancer Center, we really have a world-class team, and it's rivaled by very few um, in the world, much less the much less the country. And we have uh, um, research that really ex- uh, spans the complete spectrum of prostate cancer. So um, from before it's even diagnosed in prostate cancer screening um, to uh, clinical trials for early-stage prostate cancer and um, new d- um, identification of new genomic biomarkers to help uh, um, determine what cancers are more aggressive or to uh, measure um, prognosis for prostate cancers, and even um, clinical trials with regards to drug treatments for late-stage prostate cancer when prostate the, when the cancer is spread outside of the prostate. So, Dr. George, I, I was wondering, if I've been diagnosed with prostate cancer, um, are my only options either surgery or radiation, or what, what, what options do I have um, for, uh, for treatments? That's a great question because we've learned now that um, prostate ca- there are some prostate cancers that don't necessarily need to have surgery or radiation, and this is really from the research that has been uh, that has been done to help us identify which cancers are clinically significant, which means which like which cancers are likely to are aggressive and are likely to affect a man in his lifetime, and which cancers are not aggressive at all and and can be just monitored very very safely. Um, in in those men who have uh, less risky or uh, low-risk prostate cancer, we can monitor them safely with uh, PSA testing, uh, imaging, and periodic prostate biopsies. And we do that to make sure that the cancer hasn't changed. If it becomes more aggressive or more of the prostate becomes involved, then that patient may transition to a more definitive treatment option like surgery or radiation. Um, but it allows men to carry on with their lives without a significant interruption, and we only intervene when the benefit of treatment um, really will outweigh the side, the, uh, the side effects of uh, either radiation or surgery. And one of the things that the, we've recently started is a multidisciplinary active surveillance uh, clinic for prostate cancer where uh, men are counseled by a urologic oncologist with specialist training in prostate cancer, and they have a number of additional resources available to them during their visit. And this includes the management of their urinary symptoms. If they have erectile dysfunction, we can address that. Um, new genomic testing and implementing that when it's appropriate. Uh, state-of-the-art prostate imaging, and, of course, MRI, ultrasound-guided, uh, fusion-guided prostate biopsy. Um, in the active surveillance space, there are a number of different clinical trials that are available just for men on active surveillance. And also, we try to have our patients meet with a registered dietitian to, st- to really discuss the studies regarding, regarding nutritional and vitamin supplements in prostate cancer, because I get that ca- uh, question all the time. Um, uh, in terms of what can I do and what, uh, can I change the way I eat um, to help affect the cancer. And uh, um, that dietitian can help discuss cancer-fighting foods, antioxidants, and even the effective body mass index on prostate cancer. And while there's not a, a magic bullet or there's no uh, apple a day, um, dietary changes can uh, affect overall health in profound ways with regards to high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, cardiovascular risk. Um, and our patients... Uh, and patients in general, they're not, they're not just a prostate cancer alone. They're a whole person, and we really focus on managing their health as, as a whole, per, whole person with prostate cancer managed just as part of the treatment plan.
you know, you really kind of take that mantra of we're treating the whole person and not just the cancer. Um, and it seems like not, not only in this active surveillance clinic, but even in the normal treatment options. Yes, absolutely. I think that we've we've learned over the past uh, 20 years that we can't, it, it not, it's not necessarily the right thing to just do the same thing for every single man. It's just not the right approach because there's some men whose cancers are not going to affect them. And if we do a major operation on them, they will have the side effects of surgery or they will have side effects of radiation, but they're not going to get any benefit to that treatment. So um, we've really realized through the research that have been that has been done with us and among other institutions as well, that we really need to personalize our treatment to the patient. So when I get to be 50, I need to start thinking about uh, PSA and um, other kind of uh, exams to, to find out for prostate cancer. Um, is there anything that I should be thinking about ahead of time? Um, you know, if my uh, family member uh, in my family may have had uh, prostate cancer or another cancer for that matter? Yeah, that's another great question. Um, just as treatment has to be personalized to the patient, screening has to be personalized to the patient. So there are some uh, men that we know have an increased risk of prostate cancer and an increased risk of aggressive prostate cancers. So the, the real um, risk factors that we consider when making our decision-making and counseling a man with regards to risk of prostate cancer is, is African-American race because they are found to have a higher incidence of prostate cancer and more aggressive prostate cancers when found. Um, and men with a, a significant family history. And what I mean by that is uh, a first-degree relative, either father or brother, uh, with prostate cancer diagnosed early um, and uh, uh, less than the age of uh, 60. And also for, um, for those who have had a family member who has developed metastatic prostate cancer or prostate cancer that's spread outside of the prostate or any family members who have died from prostate cancer. Is it just uh, family members who have prostate prostate cancer, or are there other cancers um, within the family that uh, we should be aware of too? So there are the genetic associations with prostate cancer. Um, there are a few. Um, and we do know that the risk is uh, both genetic and there are likely some environmental effects as well. Um, there has been a lot of research that has gone into, gone into specific genetic alterations um, with regards to um, the BRCA gene. Um, and those who have a family history uh, of of uh, breast cancer as well, um, either uh, a male with breast cancer or um, um, on the on the maternal side and uh, history of uh, a strong family history of breast cancer, would uh, benefit from screening. Well, um, Dr. George, really appreciate the time today uh, and um, the great information that we've received. Is there anything else that uh, you think that men should be thinking about or aware of uh, when it comes to, I guess, that time of, of their life when they uh, need to start thinking more about prostate cancer? Yeah, I think that it's important not to uh, bury your head in the sand. And I think that knowledge is power. And I think the most informed uh, patients are the ones who are their best uh, advocates for themselves. And a lot of times uh, we will try to offer what we, we will councilmen to offer what we offer to them, um, but even though there are other options out there. So I really encourage uh, uh, men to, uh, to um, empower themselves uh, by uh, gaining additional knowledge in the space. Thank you for listening, and tell us what you think of this podcast by rating and reviewing us. If you have suggestions for additional topics, you can send them to cancercenter at med.umich.edu or 
message us on Twitter at UMRogoCancer. You can continue to explore the three P's of cancer by visiting rogocancercenter.org. 